The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. By reflecting on a fairly familiar passage then I'm guessing you haven't really studied all that much. And, and the reason why I say that is because at first sight, on first reading, this passage that we're going to look at doesn't seem to offer us all that much by way of substance. But as is often the case with the Bible, um, sometimes it's the parts that are kind of you know, maybe familiar to us or, or, or are the unlikely parts that sometimes give these amazing insights to life. And, and help us answer some of the big questions, some of the toughest questions in life. And so if you've got your Bibles open with you, please go ahead and grab it and, and, and find John's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. All the references are going to be on the screen for you, uh, John's Gospel. Uh, today, we're going to think about one particular skeptic's encounter with Jesus and what this encounter tells us um, about skepticism in general and, and also how skepticism and Christianity relate. So we're in John chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 35 and read down to the end of the chapter. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what, what, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, or Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, He truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then said, and then added, very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels, of, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And so as we reflect this morning on this opening encounter 
between Jesus and this skeptic, Nathaniel, I want us to explore and examine the following three observations that I believe speak so powerfully to the issues of Christian faith and skepticism. Three observations. The first observation, the problem. The problem. That is Nathaniel's problem. That is his struggle or his issue with Christianity, with, with Christ. Secondly, the pursuit the pursuit. That is, although Nathaniel has this issue with Christ, he still has this need, these deep questions that needs answers. And so he goes in pursuit of good, satisfying answers. Thirdly, prescription, the prescription. That is Jesus' prescription for Nathaniel's need. And as we're going to see, not only his need, but every human heart's deepest, most profoundest need. So problem, pursuit, prescription. So first, Nathaniel's problem, which is a large problem, and, and, and that is the, the, the whole problem of, of skepticism. You see, we, we need to realize that in the first century, there were no universities. And so if you're a young guy, young girl, keen to learn about life and faith and meaning, you couldn't simply just trot down the road and enroll in a uni course entitled, you know, The Meaning of Life. You couldn't do that. There weren't universities. And so instead, you had to find a particular teacher or rabbi who was teaching the meaning of life, the meanings of life, and actually become that rabbi's student or disciple or pupil. Now, interestingly, we're told by John, the gospel writer, of two such disciples who were a part, as it were, of John the Baptist's university. They were a part of his school of thought. But amazingly, they decide to leave John the Baptist and go and find and enlist and enroll in a new university, that is, the University of Jesus. And they're so impressed by this new university, which is Christ, they seek to recruit other students. And, and so Andrew, he's so excited, he goes and finds his brother Simon, better known as Peter, and he says, we, we found the Messiah. And then in verses 44 and 45 of our text, we find Philip uh, tracking down his good friend Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is under a fig tree, and he essentially says to him, we found the one. We found the one our Hebrew scripture, scriptures predicted would come, the one with the answers, the one who's going to liberate us from the, the boot of Rome. And you can just picture, almost imagine Nathaniel under the fig tree, maybe with a skeptical expression on his face, kind of thinking to himself, Phil, those are big claims that you're making about this character. Those are big claims. You're talking about Messiah, you're talking about the hope one, you're talking about the Savior King. And so at that, Philip says to Nathaniel, his name is Jesus. And by the way, he's from Nazareth. Now, <laughs> as soon as he says Nazareth, Nathaniel spits the dummy because we, we read in verse 46, his very first recorded words, he says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? In other words, he's saying to Philip, mate, 10 out of 10 for zeal and enthusiasm. Clearly, you're really excited about this new university in this person called Jesus, but zero out of 10 for sanity, for smarts, because he's from Nazareth, for crying out loud. It's on the wrong side of town, the other side of the tracks. There's nothing good can surely come out of Nazareth. And so he's rolling his eyes at Christianity, Christ. And you know, today... A lot of people view Christianity that same way. The way Nathaniel views here, Nazareth, a lot of people view Christianity that way. It's like Christianity, like Nazareth. I remember when I was an 18-year-old, 
and I was working in, in London as a hairdresser. And we had this one client, and he was just like Philip. I said, he was a pastor, and so he, I guess he had to be kind of passionate for, you know, about the things of God. And so he would come in sometimes and, and try and recruit us to you know, Jesus' way of living. And I remember I was cutting his hair, uh, his hair this one day, and he was sitting in my chair. And he was trying to recruit me. He was being like Philip. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be like Nathaniel then. And I didn't know who Nathaniel was back then, but essentially I took on his persona because I interrupted him and said, oh, 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 hold on a minute. How can someone who died 2,000 years ago be of any relevance to me? I mean, can you hear the tone in my then 18-year-old voice? A dismissive tone. Just like Nathan, Nazareth, he was 18 year olds. Christianity, Jesus, he died such a long time ago. We're not talking two years, 20 years, 200 years, but 2,000 years ago. How can he, the one who lived and died, be of any relevance to me? Kind of dismissed it. Dismissed it. You see, this attitude towards Christianity is, is kind of growing, growing. Our, our age is increasingly becoming skeptical. And, and, and kind of, they, there's a lot of doubts. Um, Tim Keller, and I haven't quoted him for some time, a long time in fact, he says this. He says, many people today view Christianity much like Nathaniel viewed Nazareth. Christianity was from Nazareth then, and it is still from Nazareth today for a lot of people. People love to roll their eyes at the idea of Christianity and its claims about who Christ is and what he has done and can do for them. A lot of people do that. It's like Christianity, that's, that's old news, old hat. It's had its day and that day is not our day. It's had its era, that era is not our era. It's, it's regressive, in other words. It's old school, it's old-fashioned, it's unsophisticated. And yet still people go further than that and say, yeah, it's regressive, but it's also oppressive. A lot of people in our kind of Western society context are saying, Christianity is oppressive. That is, it's not good for society. It's even harmful, especially when Christian rugby players say unhelpful things on social media. They're like, see, see, Christianity is bigoted, it's narrow-minded, and we don't want a bar of it. So we're not going to subscribe to Christianity. That's not everyone's attitude in Australia. That would be wrong and simplistic. But I think it's a, it's a growing view, it's a growing attitude. But I want to suggest something this morning, that that attitude is not only unwisely dismissive, Nazareth, Christianity, how can someone who died 2,000 years ago be of any relevance? But it's also counterintuitive. The attitude towards Christianity is counterintuitive, meaning those who have this view, this attitude towards Christianity, fail to realize that some of the things that we prize and cherish and value and affirm in the West grew out of Christianity directly out of Christianity. For example, the value of human dignity, the, the, the belief of human rights and equality grew out of Christianity. Uh, Luc Ferry, he's a French philosopher. He is an atheist. He's not a Christian, but he's an honest atheist. Listen to what he says on this. He says, quote, without Christianity, the philosophy of human rights to which we subscribe today would never have established itself. He's not a Christian. He is an atheist, a humanistic atheist. And he's saying, look, <laughs> this value that we not only subscribe to, but fight to protect, yes, grew out of Christianity. If it wasn't for Christianity, there would be no human dignity. 
that, that value, kind of the core of our hearts and, and our community as well. Why not? Well, he goes on to say in the same book, uh, in a chapter entitled The Victory of Christianity, he says, back then, the dominant worldview was the Greco-Roman worldview, and it was exclusively hierarchical exclusively aristocratic. Uh, The term aristocratic means the rule of the best. And so if you were wealthy, you were seen to be the best, and so you ruled. If you were smart, you were seen to be the best, and therefore you ruled. If you were strong, you were seen to be the best, and therefore you ruled. And everyone else, they were ruled. If you were a woman, disabled, a child, you were ruled. And so it was very, very top-heavy. And so if you or I would have kind of gone to someone in the kind of high echelons of the society back then and kind of did this with your hands and saying, yeah, it's a bit top-heavy, you know, what about some kind of equality? They would have said, they would have said to you, don't you dare do that with your hands. Don't, don't you start doing this with your hands, right? There's no such thing in our worldview as equality, or human rights. That's the way it always has been, it's the way it is today, and we pray that it will always be that way. But you see, what subverted that? It was the teachings of Jesus. It was Christianity. It was his teaching, love your neighbor as yourself. It was the teaching, love your enemy. It was the Christian, Judo-Christian teaching that every human being is made in the image of God. And therefore, in the sight of God, every human being is equal. Regardless of your age or, or gender or, or your stratification or social economic standing, whatever it may be, every human being is equal. And you know, the main, most powerful, subversive, wonderfully subversive teaching, Christian teaching, was that of the incarnation. Here's God taking on humanity. What, to die for the elite, the smart, the wealthy, the strong? No, no, to die for every single human being. And when that truth took heart, Took, took root in, in the hearts of people. It wonderfully subverted that Greco-Roman world for you. And so something good, after all, did come out of Nazareth. <laughs> this, this value that we cherish as Westerns. And so let's not be quickly dismissive of Christianity because this value, human rights, it gives birth to many other values that we love as Westerners. And, you know, we wouldn't really enjoy what we do here in Australia and other Western places if it wasn't for this value, which grew directly out of Christianity. Yeah, so this is the first thing, Nathaniel's problem. He's problem. He's a skeptic. But listen, he has this deep need because it just takes a little persuasion from Philip. So verse 46, Nathaniel's just said, Nazareth. And then Philip says, okay, then. Big shot, skeptic, doubter, come and see for yourself. Essentially, what he says, he says, come and see. And Nathaniel's like, okay, then I'll come. <laughs> and so he, he trots off with uh, Philip to, to check this, this new uni lecturer out, this rabbi. And, and, and maybe, maybe he went to prove Philip wrong, possibly. Like, I told you so, he's just a, a self-proclaimed Messiah. But you know what? I think there's something deeper going on here in the heart of this young student, in the heart of this young guy. He would have had deep, profound questions. He was a Jew. We find this really hard to understand. But he was a Jew living under Roman occupation. And that would have been absolutely devastating for him. And not only for him, for the whole nation. And so there was kind of like a, a national crisis, this identity crisis, this crisis of, of faith. And so he would have asked big questions such as, should we be praying for the coming of Messiah? 
Are we still the people of God? Has God abandoned us? Has he left us? These big, weighty identity questions. And so Philip says, come and see. We, we, I believe, you know, I found the one. And so he's willing to follow that line of inquiry and check Jesus out. And, and listen, that kind of inquisitiveness shouldn't surprise us, not even in our own day, in, in our age of widespread skepticism and doubt. Just recently, 2016, NCLS, they're an Australian-based uh, research group, and they put out uh, a poll, some findings, and, and they found that uh, 50% of Australians say that they are spiritually minded. They claim to be spiritually minded. Uh, that is, they don't believe that life is merely or only or exclusively material. They, they don't believe that, okay, when you die, that's it. Kaput all over Red Rover. They don't, they don't believe that. They believe in transcendence. They believe in something bigger, higher than themselves. That, of course, doesn't mean that they are... Bible-believing or they're Christians, but they, they believe in, in, in something other, something greater. Now, for Australia, they put out a, a similar study, and they found that 49% of Australians are happy, willing to talk about spiritual things, spiritual matters. And yet, here's the bad part of the finding, they haven't found a safe place to do so. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but that grieves me. That here we have half of the nation saying, you know what, I have these questions. Like Nathaniel, I have these questions, maybe a different set of questions, but, but I have these questions, I have this need, and I'm happy to talk about these things, spirituality, and yet they haven't found a safe place. Church, Christian, that safe place should be in your company. That safe place should be in my presence, your presence. That safe place should be in your lounge room, my lounge room. That safe place should be here in church and every church in our city. That safe place ought to be in the cafe you meet uh, for lunch with your colleagues. That, 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 that ought to be the safe place where your friends, colleagues, neighbors can talk about these spiritual matters. You know, I think one of the reasons why we don't talk about these spiritual things is because we believe that our friends and colleagues don't actually want to speak about them. But the stats show otherwise. And so let me challenge you this morning. Go and prove that stat. Go and prove, go and test that finding. And, and for others, you might be here today. Uh, someone's invited you along or you're new, you're on a journey. Maybe you too have spiritual questions like Nathaniel here. Let me encourage you to be like Nathaniel. He was a skeptic. At this stage, at least. And yet he had these questions, so he, he investigated the person of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to do that too. Investigate Jesus. I, I can't prove to you categorically, empirically, that Christianity is true. I, I can't take you to a lab and do a scientific uh, kind of a, um, experiment and say, there you go, see, Christianity is true. But I sincerely believe that Christianity is robust that there are strong reasons, solid, robust reasons to believe in the one from Nazareth. And if you are willing to investigate him, then, then, then allow me to invite you to consider his prescription here. Because we've, we've looked at Nathaniel's problem, the problem, skepticism. We, we've thought about the pursuit. He has these questions. And now Jesus' prescription. We've, we've only heard up until now from Philip and Nathaniel, but from verses 47 down to the end of the chapter, we get to hear from Jesus, this Savior King, this, this Messiah. And it's amazing. The prescription he offers Nathaniel and everyone else, for that matter, is found in himself. 
It's found in his character and his cause. So verse 7, Nathanael rocks up to Jesus. And Jesus sees Nathanael approaching. And Jesus is really gracious. We, we've got to see Christ being kind here because he sees him coming and maybe in the presence of others. He says, ah, here, he truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Now, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, here's a transparent guy. He's transparent. In other words, he's a straight talker. He's a straight shooter. Now, a lot of us find straight shooters, what? Not only annoying, but we tend to avoid them, kind of opinionated. We kind of, you know, all right, they're coming. I'm going to take a sidestep. I'm going to move away. You know, kind of, all right, they're coming. I'm going to move, avoid them. But, but Jesus here, even though this straight shooter, kind of Nazareth, you know, any good come out of there, Jesus like welcoming. He welcomes him. He's not dismissive, as Nathaniel was dismissed of him, but, but he's embracive. And so Jesus is showing us this morning something about his character, even though he sees the bottom of us. He knows us deep, deep down, and yet he's willing to receive, he's willing to accept, he's willing to embrace, just like he embraced Nathaniel here. Nathaniel was so won over by that, he's wooed by that. He says, how do you know me, verse 48? How do you, how do you know me? It's like, You've got me all worked out. You've got me all figured out. How, how is that possible? And, and then Jesus slips in. This is, this is powerful. He says, Ah, oh, Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I, I saw you while you were under the fig, the fig tree before Philip caught you. Now, no one knows exactly what Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree. No one knows what he was up to. Like, it's speculative, right? You can take a stab in the dark, but it would be a stab in the dark. No one knows, but you know what? It was so secret and it was so significant that he was blown away by the fact that Jesus knew about it and yet still affirmed him, still received him. And so at that, guess what he, he does with his skeptical guard? He just drops it. He just gives it away. And he says in, in verse 49, he says, Oh, truly, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He's moved from skepticism to, to faith just like that. Now, you, you would think that Jesus would say, you know, well done. I'm going to congratulate you. I'm going to applaud you. But you know what? Jesus mildly, right, he says it with a smile on his face, I believe. He's being courteous. But he's mildly challenging uh, Nathaniel here in verse 50. He challenges him. He says, you, you, you believe now? Because I, I, I told you about the whole fig tree thing, and, and, and now, you know, you, you're kind of, you're going to trust in me, hook, line, sinker, because I've disclosed this kind of miracle, uh, this insight. In other words, Jesus is saying, ah, oh, so you, you rolled your eyes up at me, but, but now you're ready to embrace me. Nathaniel, slow down. You don't even know me, really. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You kind of believe, but you, you're going to see greater things than that. It's just like, you don't really know me. Okay, you've encountered me in this one miracle, but there's so much more to me to encounter. There's so much more to me. And, and, so, and so this is incredible. So I find amazing. Jesus is essentially saying to Nathaniel and us, or every skeptic, think. That's what he's saying. Nathaniel, you, you haven't thought this through, that you've been a bit knee-jerky. You've come from skepticism, now you go, yeah, I'm ready to receive you, but you haven't sat at my feet. You haven't been in some of my lectures to hear my teaching. 
to hear what I'm about, where I'm heading, who I am, my identity. And this is incredible, isn't it? Because a lot of people in, in our society regard Christianity to be for the brainless. Uh, especially the new atheists, the new atheistic movement uh, championed by Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens. They, they think to be a Christian, a Christian is to be brainless. It's like, okay, well, you're a Christian. Well, therefore, you, you mustn't like thinking. <laughs> you, you mustn't like reflecting. You mustn't like studying. But, but that couldn't be further from the truth because Jesus is, is promoting a, a type of faith, a type of Christianity that is grounded not groundless. Jesus is not concerned in the slightest with, with people investigating him because he knows who he is. And so Jesus wouldn't want you, if you're here on a journey, he wouldn't want you just to accept it blindly, Christianity. He wouldn't want you to trust in him, turn to him, if he's not true. He wouldn't want you to accept the claims of Christianity if they weren't true. He wouldn't. And so he encourages all of us to, to start thinking a bit more about who he is and investigate him. Yeah? So, so, so this is the, the, the pursuit of, of, of Nathaniel here. Nathaniel, and, and, and he's finding in Jesus uh, this graciousness, this welcome, and he's, he's been challenged to really think and consider who Jesus is. But, but notice how Jesus ends here. And I, and I think this is the main prescription for Nathaniel's need and for every human need. He says in verse 51, these are profound words. He says to Nathaniel and, and those you know, in his company, he says, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You see, many people when they come to Christ, I don't really believe that they think they're going to have all their answers, uh, questions answered. Normally, when people come to Christ, initially at least, it's because of some pressing need. That, that was like, you know, the way it was for me. I was a bit kind of annoyed at life and was in a dead-end job and, and it was a bit frustrating. And so someone told me about Jesus and so I made some inquiries. I investigated Christ. Uh, for others, it's loneliness. People come to Christ because of that or some health issue or some loss. They, they come to Christ for comfort or solace. But, but when you actually do encounter Jesus... When you do actually come to him, you, you, you experience something beyond your wildest imagination. You, you, you encounter the risen one, and he doesn't only give you answers, you find in him the answer, the answer. And so when, when Jesus says here to Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel, um, you're going to see heaven open, and you're going to see heavens going up and down on the Son of Man. Essentially what he's saying is this. He's, he's alluding to an Old Testament text, an Old Testament account, Genesis chapter 28. Jacob, one of the patriarchs, he has this dream, he has this vision. And in his vision, he sees this ladder, as it were, this staircase. And, and angels are going up the stairs and down the stairs. And angels in the Bible are a sign of the presence of God. Always. They signify the presence of God. Just think of the nativity scene. There's angels all over the place because God is revealing himself to the nation and to the world. You're my savior. The savior is being born. And so that's what angels signify. But the issue, of course, is that because of human sin, because of human rebellion, because of idolatry, not loving God first and best, the world is a mess. And, and humanity has, has, has you know, uh, experienced a lot of misery as a result. And so, as it were, there's this impenetrable slab that, that blocks us from heaven, from the presence of God. 
from, from the presence of God. And, and so Jacob, in this vision, he, he has this dream of this future day, this future time when that slab is removed and, and people can enjoy the presence of God. And here's Jesus draw droppingly saying to, to Nathaniel and those in his company, I'm the way. That's me. I'm the staircase, Eric Clapton, all right, as the heaven. I'm, I'm the, the ladder to heaven. I, I'm the access point. And so you can almost hear Jesus saying to Nathaniel these words, maybe with a smile on his face. <laughs> Nathaniel, Nathaniel, you believe that I'm Messiah, and rightly so. But if you're like anyone else here, around here, if you're, you know, who believe in Messiah, they, they think that as Messiah, I'm going to mount a big horse and throw down the Romans. He says, oh, Nathaniel, I've come for so much more than that. I've come for so much more than that. Because if I only did that, then I wouldn't deal with the real human condition. If I only did that, if I only gave you liberty and freedom, then I wouldn't liberate humanity. Because that's the issue, Nathaniel. That's the real issue. The human condition, sin. I've come not only to renew a people group, but every people group on the face of the planet. I've come to renew the world. And the way I'm going to do that is by going to the cross. It's by going to the cross. And through my death and resurrection, I there on the cross, I'm going to be smashed. And through it, I'm going to smash a hole. I'm going to punch a hole through that slab that separates heaven from earth. And I'm going to win access. I'm going to gain access for everyone who put their faith in me. That's profound. That's profound. And so I encourage each of us here this morning to encounter this risen Christ afresh. You know, for, for us Christians, especially if we've been Christians for some time, we, we think we've got Jesus. We know Jesus. <laughs> That's folly. <laughs> That's why He is profound. He's the one that cannot be placed in a box. He's the one that heaven and earth cannot contain. And there's so much more to know of him, so much more to encounter. So I encourage you, start researching, start thinking about him more, start studying the word of God more so that you encounter him. And if you are here today and you are on this journey of faith, you, you may consider yourself to be a skeptic. Then, then my prayer for you is that today you would encounter Jesus for yourself, that you would encounter him deeply, spiritually, that you would have your answers your questions answered in Jesus because I believe he not only has the answers, he is the answer. He is. Amen. How about we stand as we reflect? If you, if you are here today and you do have questions, you may be a Christian. And even as Christians, we, we have doubts at times and we have questions. And then, then we're here to help you, resource you. And I'd love to talk to you after the service about how to help you. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been a Christian for a little while now and I've had many, many, many doubts. And yet God has always provided answers and he's always helped me and blessed me and 
strengthen me. And if you are here and you, 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 you might consider yourself to be a Christian and maybe you're not too sure, um, you're on this journey, I, I, I encourage you to um, maybe talk to the person who invited you today or again, I'd love to sit with you and talk to you. Someone else here, one of the leaders would love to talk to you um, about Christianity and about Jesus Christ um, because we believe he is the answer. We believe that he is alive. We believe that he loves to meet people where they're at and that he forgives. We believe that he's not calling you to a life of religion. He's calling you to himself where you know his heart. And when your heart comes alive to him, then you experience life and all your questions are answered in him. And so, Father, I pray, thank you. I thank you, Lord God, for our time together. I thank you, Lord God, for this skeptic who moved from skepticism to faith. And he had a lot of work to do. But Lord God, you helped him. You blessed him. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us where we're at. We're all on a journey, different stages. I pray that you would help us move forward. Lord, not go back. Help us move forward. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, to press into you and to discover the wonder that is Jesus. Discover the wonder that is in him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.